Good morning. We'll be starting in Matthew chapter 25, and then, uh, then I'm going to introduce Leanne Esch, our prayer team leader, who happens to also be someone who has gone to and is going to Africa. So somehow we'll see how all these things have to relate. So first, Matthew 25. will be in verse 31. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, um, I'm sure someone back at the information table would love to hand you one. But otherwise, no judgment if you use your phone. That's okay. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a sheep, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom of heaven prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So Leanne, would you come up? I had a friend who was just in uh, Israel and he shared a picture of this giant mountain by the Sea of Galilee, and he said that he got to go with this place called Friendship Tours. And Africa has been one of the places that I've wanted to tour. It's like a life dream of a safari. Um, But you didn't go to Africa for that. And a few months ago, we heard from you about how God called you a long, long time ago to come to Africa. But we didn't get to hear a lot about the trip. So we'd love to hear about your trip and about how God is moving now. Very cool. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to have the opportunity to share. And before I do that, I hope this is okay, Pastor Rob, because it's probably going to add like two minutes. But 
I undisclosed amount of time. Um, in my time at Restoration, I've been coming for a year and a half or so, I've really sensed that we long to be a community that's genuine and vulnerable with each other. And the Lord has just been speaking to me that I need to confess something to you all. Um, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, um, he will, no, how does this go? Confess your sins so that you can be healed. And something that the Lord has been dealing with me um, recently and wanting me to be healed from is this striving towards perfection. So I'm just confessing that this morning, this talk does not need to be perfect and God will still move. So um, I know there's a lot of us that struggle with that. We, we long to give God an offering that is excellent. But for me, that desire sometimes hinders me from just the joy of service, just being who I am in Christ and not needing it to be this amazing thing all the time, just being myself. So, okay, that wasn't what I was supposed to share, but it was, I guess. So uh, Africa, so this was a 20-year dream of mine, and it was just amazing to take the first steps forward to seeing God um, bringing me to Kenya. And I'd like to share just a little bit about what that experience was for me. Um, landing was awesome. My roommate Kelly's here today, and she bet, what was it, 100 bucks that I would cry when I first hit the Kenyan soil, and she was right. It was just so amazing to see that dream starting on its way to fulfillment. But my first day, oh, I should tell you what I was doing. So Chariots for Hope is an organization that sponsors eight children's homes in Kenya. And um, I went sort of as an exploratory kind of trip to see if this might be a good organization for me to go and serve for a longer period of time, which I am going to do. But we got to visit three of their children's homes. And um, my first day there was a bit of a struggle. It was a mental battle. I found myself going back into old, my old nemesis of self-doubt. I would watch these younger girls that were like kid magnets, swarms of kids around them, like super energetic. And I would go, that is so not me. Like, I'm just not that outgoing person. Am I going to fit in here? What could possibly be my role here? And the Lord very clearly spoke to me, Leanne. If I wanted to call a kid magnet, couldn't I call a kid magnet? And it was like, you know, you, I have something within me that Christ wanted to bring to those kids. It wasn't maybe my idea of what the perfect fit would be. So I started looking for the way that God would have me fit. And it turned out to be more one-on-one -on -one with teenage girls. So when I go back, that's what my focus will be. But it was revealed to me very gradually through my time there what I was connecting with. Um, so when I, we left the first home and started to the second home, Koptegat, I was still wondering, what is my place in the midst of this? And I was feeling really timid and uncertain. And we came to Koptegat, and it was this amazing experience of welcome. These kids were so excited to see us. They lined the walkway where we were coming up with songs, and they were singing joyfully, and the staff member would grab one of our hands and dance us through the aisles. And it was just like I was being welcomed home. It felt like home. And so it was really refreshing to my spirit. It also was like this amazing thing of imagining this must be like the closest thing I could get on earth to feeling like what it's going to be when we're welcomed home to heaven. It was just so full of joy. <coughs> also at Koptegat, 
got to be a part of um, doing sponsor gifts, which was so cool. These kids, they get two packages a year from their sponsors, and their joy in seeing these gifts was so fun, but they were so polite, and it gave me such a new appreciation for what sponsorship really means, not only for the needs of the kids, but for the heart of them. I got to sit down with this little gal. You can go to the next slide, Joe. Sheila, and help her write a letter to her sponsor. And she didn't know much English, but she just kept writing, I love you, my sponsor. I thank you, my sponsor. All the while with this giant smile on her face, and it's like I could just feel the love coming from this child as she wrote to her sponsor. It was so touching. Um, but probably my favorite thing that we got to do was go out into the community and um, meet some of the, the families. So a lot of the kids in the children's homes, they have family in the surrounding area, but they're not able to care for them. So maybe extended family or a single parent or a home with a lot of kids, and they just don't have the resources. So we got to... Uh, the kids would take us out into these rural communities. We'd drive as far as we could, but then we'd have to walk a long ways into these villages, and it was just fascinating to see how they lived. They, they carry these, oh, back to the other one, Joe. The women, you'll see them walking alongside the road with all the wood on their back because everyone cooks with wood-burning stove, but there aren't that many trees. It was baffling to me, like, where are they getting all this wood? So they'd be walking for who knows how many miles to bring the wood and the water back to their homes. Um, the most poignant moment for me was at one of these home visits. Um, we This was the poorest one that we probably saw. It was two rooms. One was like a kitchen, very smoky, because the fire is like inside the house. I couldn't stand in there for more than 10 seconds. I just you can't breathe. And the other room was just a bedroom with no beds, just their belongings kind of stacked in a corner, and they slept on these blankets that are drying in the sun. And we're standing outside talking and, um, you know, meeting this family. And Martha, one of the staff people from the Kenyan home, the children's home, was telling us that they, two of the kids that lived in this home, this was a family of five, um, were in the living in the children's home, but the two younger ones on my right were still living in this home. And she said, if we had a sponsor, we would take them into the children's home. And I'm like, what? So for $45 a month, I could bring this child from that mud house to a children's home where all of their clothes, their sh they have shoes, they um, you know, their school fees are paid for, and it was just overwhelming to me. What a, a small sacrifice for me, what a huge difference that could make in the life of that kid. Uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. So I am now a sponsor of Victor, and my friend Judy's sponsoring Shadrach, so they are currently living at Kaftagat, and I can't wait to go back and see them. Um, so I want to tell you, after this day of seeing them and meeting my sponsor kid, I, we got to stay at a hotel that night. So I was at the hotel. I'm taking this hot shower. I have this beautiful warm bed waiting for me and brought up room service with tilapia and I could barely eat. It was like, why God? Um, not, not out of guilt, but just a place of deep humility of realizing what a privileged life 
I am truly living. And why? Why am I living this life when these kids are, are living theirs? It's very humbling. Um, so last thing I want to share is about a woman that I met who's a Kenyan staff. Her name is Martha. And she's the one on the left. Um, this was Dasa's work that went along with us that some of you signed that I gave to these two beautiful Kenyan staff. Martha, I got to talk with her a lot and ask her questions about her life. And she shared with me that she has a son and a husband who live two hours away from the children's home. And she goes there every week on her day off. She drives to see her family. And I said, wow, isn't that hard for you to be away from them? She said, yeah, it's really hard. She got tears in her eyes. She said, I pray all the time, Lord, take care of my kid while I look after yours. And I thought that is really the ultimate life of service right there, to leave your own child to care for the little ones that has no one to care for them. And she just, I watched her with the kids, she just pours love into these children. So it was really amazing to meet her and the other Kenyan staff, and I can't wait to go back and work with them. So I'm super excited about where God is calling me, and I know it's as much to form who I am as to be able to serve. <sighs> okay. So um, I brought some letters in the back that tell a little bit more about what I'm going to be doing, and it means a lot to me that you all prayed for me and supported me the last time that I went and that you will be with me again. It's amazing to have a family. So I thank you for that. And there's child sponsorship info back there too. Stay up for a second. Leanne, thank you for sharing, first of all, not only what you did, but who you are. One of the things that I think is so powerful about the place that you went is that it's not just an orphanage. In fact, they don't even use the word orphanage. It's a home. And you have found a home here, and we have found a home with you. And so I think it would be amazing if we would be part of your prayer support team. Um, so I want to start that today, but we'll hear more information because you don't leave until May. So, but that I'm sure will come fast. We have a little um, thing that we celebrate Easter in there too. So that's kind of a big deal. So it's going to feel fast, but can I just pray for you now? Lord, I thank you for my sister and my friend and God, your daughter. Who, huh, isn't it funny, God, how she is across the world just a few months ago and she is looking at all the least of her in the midst of where she's at. And God, uh, how our lenses of who is least need to be transformed. So I thank you for what you're done and what you're doing in her, God, and what you will do through her. I pray that we could go along with her. May she know that she does have a home in many different parts of the world and that she is always with you wherever she goes. Give her peace and joy today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Leanne. So Leanne did not go to Africa as a tourist. If you were to characterize your life, 
would you say you are a tourist or a pilgrim? I think a tourist is looking to take an adventure, to take everything in, to get some trinkets, to consume this experience. It's not bad, it's just very different than a pilgrim who goes somewhere to contribute in some way, who is thinking about how they're going to stay, what they're going to plant, and what they're going to invest in. Tourists are often looking at getting a full experience whereas pilgrims are looking at giving to whatever experience is already there. Tourists, although they might not say it, are looking for ways to be served, and pilgrims are looking for ways to serve. And if you had to categorize your life, would it fall more into the tourist or the pilgrim. We started this series called Living Happy on this question of really asking, you know, what deep down makes us happy? And we learned when we started that nothing, or more accurately, no thing, can make us truly happy. But a who could make us happy. The fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived out perfect relationship with God and others who died to pay and cover the debt of our sin and to redeem us and restore us with God and give us relationship with him can truly make us actually, everlastingly, abundantly happy. And I believe that. I give my life to that. And I, and I work for that too. But I just have to wonder... If that's true, then why aren't more people who believe in Jesus and, and have relationship with God than living abundantly, truly happy? And I, I think, Leanne, you, you actually nailed it on the part you didn't plan for. I think it's because although we understand in some way that we need to be forgiven of our sin and our wrong and the things that are ugly in us, we forget that we have to be healed of something too. And that today we're just gonna spend some time thinking about what we might need to be healed by. And I think Matthew is onto something and he's trying to get at this idea of healing when he tells this story. Now Matthew, I mean all the writers are clever, but Matthew is a very clever writer and how he tells the story of Jesus, he actually organizes his account of Jesus around five sets of teachings or five sets of discussions And at the end of each discussion, he has this theme of judgment. The first set of discussions is known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Mountain. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some people know that one pretty well. And it ends with this story of judgment. We don't catch it too often. It's the wise person, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. They are the one who builds on the rock. The one who doesn't hear my, or hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, well, they build on the sand. And then that one gets washed away. We talked about that several weeks ago. But that is his first theme of judgment at the end of his teaching of uh, that first set of teachings. Then he goes through two, three, four, five. And this is the fifth set of teaching. And this is the, not only the climax of his teaching, but also the climax of this theme of judgment. And if judgment's a scary or bad word for you, really this theme of assessment, this theme of evaluation. And in Matthew 25, he says that the Son of Man is actually this 
designation from the Old Testament in the prophecies, but he actually says he's the king when he sits on this throne in all this glory, and it's all the nations, not just the Jews, not just the Christians, but everyone in the world will actually come before him. And what, I, what I'm just fascinated by in this passage is there's no other distinction other than being human in this passage. Like, all the nations will come before him. There's no difference or distinction of race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. None of these things that we so often do in our life or think in our life, none of them are there. Simply the designation of being human. And he says that he will separate the people like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. Now, maybe you've heard about this in the past, and we've often looked at sheep are good, goats are bad, don't don't be a goat, be a sheep, be a sheep. I just have to be a sheep. And we forget that actually all throughout the Bible, Goats and sheep are both considered good animals. They're both used in Jesus' sacrifice, like religious system of sacrifice. Often the goat is interchangeable with the sheep in certain ceremonies and festivals. And so we can't immediately assume that one would say, oh, the goat is bad and the sheep are good. We have to look deeper than that. In fact, one historical reference that I was researching on this said that the reason that they separated the sheep and the goats is that the male goats were often more aggressive to the sheep. That's why they had to separate them. Isn't that interesting? If that was true, and Jesus makes this analogy of people being sheep and goats, then I would expect his story to say when the king comes and sits on his throne and he separates the people, he would talk about hostile, aggressive actions towards others. And that's the thing that he would be judging. And yet, hostile, aggressive actions are not even talked about in this whole episode. In fact, the only things that are talked about are selfless, serving actions and non-actions. Helping someone else or not helping someone else. So what about considering the claim that some of us have like, ooh, we can, there's something we can do to make us happy. Like as long as you are all about you, then you will never be happy. I don't want to oversimplify, but if we could fulfill us, or if we could give ourselves happiness, then don't you think we would have already? Why do people often go to the gym? Now, some people do it to work out and be healthy. Some people do it, though, because they want to be a certain type of healthy. They want to look a certain way. They want their arms to either go bigger or smaller, or their stomachs to, well, just certain ways. I think it's the reason some people diet, because they want to look a certain way. It's the reason some of us, well, some of you go to the hair salon, and you pick out a, a, a haircut in a magazine, and then you say, can you do that? And not, none of these things are bad. It's what's behind why we do those things. 
Because I think many of us, myself included, the reason we buy that membership or eat that food or don't eat that food or read those articles is because we think we can get ourselves to the way we want. And if we can do that, then, then we'll be happy. I think most of us live in this world of comparative happiness. I mean, Leanne kind of was really vulnerable when she said, you know, I was looking at the people who are Kid Mags, oh, what am I doing here? It's an example of comparative happiness where we look at what someone else has or how others live or the way others look and we go, oh, that's the picture of happiness. And then we think, oh, if I just had his job or if I just had that spouse or if I just drove that car or if I had her arms, then then I would be happy and we kind of want to piece together all these different aspects of what we think will be happy. But think about it. The only way we could do that is Photoshop or genetic engineering. And I'm pretty sure the first time that went over well, it was Frankenstein. Like, we, if we really truly, and kind of being funny, but if we really truly piece together happiness, we'd be a monster. That's not how God created us to live. He formed us and put us together, and he likes your quirks, most of them. He <laughs> smiles at the other ones, or rolls his eyes. I'm not quite sure yet. But he looks at you and delights and says, oh, she's good. He's awesome. I like her. I love him. He doesn't need us to piece ourselves together. We can't piece our way to living happy and we can't get or acquire or consume or somehow buy our way to living happy. But here's the interesting thing. We can serve and volunteer our way to living happy. I mean, studies have shown this. In fact, in 2013, Biomedical or Biomed Central Public Health, they published this review about the health benefits of volunteering weekly. Okay, so they took hundreds of studies from Japan, Europe, and several places in the United States and the United Kingdom. So, I mean, fairly wide range. And they used this specific criteria about that it had to be studying this thing and then specific pieces of that. And they found, they selected 40 different articles or studies that had already been done. And then they reviewed all of those studies to see what the common connections were between well-being or happiness and selflessness or serving, volunteering. And they found that helping others on a regular basis, like one hour a week of, you can, lots of variety, visiting the sick, uh, reading to the blind, feeding the hungry, that number one, your mortality rate goes down by as much as 22%, which just is a fancy way of saying you'll live longer. And then the people who didn't do those things. Plus, they discovered that the people who volunteered had reduced rates of depression, fewer cases of heart disease, and less stress in their life. Furthermore, they had an increased sense of life satisfaction, increased mental wellness, and a higher self-esteem. And they said helping others probably benefits their social contact by reducing loneliness, which now certain reviews say loneliness is actually as dangerous as smoking as far as the 
what it does to our life and our health and our chance of heart disease, heart attacks, or strokes. Just read an article about how American men are some of the most lonely people in the world. We do need to be healed of something. We are forgiven, but we do need to be healed. And I realize that a lot of those things make me sound more like a doctor than a pastor, but here's what they found out. That doing good for others does you good. If you do good for others, it actually makes you feel good. And when Jesus gives this picture of the king in all his glory, he judges both groups by their selfless, loving, merciful response to the least. And do you notice how both groups are utterly surprised? Both groups. They don't, they don't recognize the king. They call him king. They call him lord. But I would have expected the second group to be like, dude, or man. Not lord. But I think the reality that we would actually treat a king different than the least just spotlights our selfishness. You know, no one has to really learn to be selfish. If you're not sure, take two two-year-olds, put one toy in the room, and then just watch. <laughs> no, maybe not. It just comes naturally. It's not the way God created us to be, but selfishness really does come naturally to us. And it's a result of our brokenness. I think selfishness is a result of our brokenness. Brokenness is a result of our sin. And brokenness is what separates us from God, from each other, and from the whole world. And being selfish, this, this naturally isolates us. It makes us think only of ourselves. It turns our eyes in on ourselves, scripture talks about. And, and what it does is it, it makes us think that we live in these separate, self-centered worlds. If you've ever been a parent, you've probably said, the world doesn't revolve around you. And if you've ever been a kid, then you've probably heard, the world doesn't revolve around you. But we naturally go there. And here's, here's why I bring that up. Because our self-centered worlds make us not see the hungry. They make us not see the thirsty. They make us not see the person who needs clothes or the person who's sick or the person who's in prison or, 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 or they make us not see them. When Jesus was having his feet anointed by this woman who was of, you know, some weird disrespect, the Pharisee in the room says, if Jesus knew what kind of person that is in the room, then he would not be doing that. And Jesus says, Simon to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? John 7, uh, Luke 7. Do you see this woman? Meaning, the Pharisee didn't see this person. That's what our selfishness does. It makes us not see people. I mean, if we knew it was Jesus on the side of the road having the money, or if we knew it was Jesus that was standing there shivering, needing a coat, or if we knew it was Jesus who was in prison, don't you think most of us would go? I think many of us would go. But our selfishness causes us to not see, and that is what we, me, maybe you, need to be healed of.
the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Take one of your hands, if you would, and make a fist, and take one of your hands and put it open. Thank you for playing this game with me. Now, clench that fist and open that hand. Doesn't it take more effort to make this than to do this? This is natural. This is relaxed. Even if you extend your fingers, it's still a different feeling than clenching up your hand together. Thank you for doing that with me. And the reality is this is how we were made to live. If you've ever been a runner, you know that they say, do not clench your hands. Leave your hands loose. It's less resistance. It takes less energy. These hands are made the way God made us to live. These hands are made to receive, but they're also made to give. This is how God wants us to live. And the fact, when we do this, when we empty our hands, we actually become more full. It doesn't make sense, but it's how God made us to live. Jesus lived his life this way. He said, if you're selfless, if you lose yourself, you'll actually find yourself. You will become full when you empty. This is what not just he talked about, this is actually what he lived and died by. This is how he sits at the right hand of the Father because he emptied himself of his life and was redeemed and resurrected and restored because of it. And it's one of the reasons that he is still one of the most celebrated people on earth, even by those who don't know him and might even revile him. And Jesus commands us to love each other. He tells us, to serve each other, to forgive each other, to be gracious to one another, to carry one another's burdens, to share with one another. We might even say we are created by God to just one another. To see the great and the least. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to live happy, then we we have to figure out ways to consistently Give ourselves away. Because when we start to be separated from God through brokenness or selfishness or sin or whatever, then we start to focus on ourselves. Thinking we'll fill ourselves up will actually be emptying ourselves. But finding life is found by giving ourselves away. And selfless, merciful, loving compassion has no other motive than seeing a need and meeting a need. Whether it's the cup of water for the thirsty, or the jacket or the gloves for the cold, whether it's visiting someone who's sick or visiting someone in prison. This is how God designed us. And when we do this, we really find healing to our brokenness. We stop thinking about what the other person is doing and we start finding God in the midst of where we find ourselves. You didn't hear Leanne talk about souvenirs or trinkets or like taking these postcards back from this trip because she was a pilgrim in this place and you don't have to go very far to be a pilgrim. You can go across the street and sit with your neighbor and be a pilgrim. You can go over to Westview Elementary School and give 50 kids these weekend backpack food programs so they're not starving on the weekends and be a pilgrim. 
You can sit at the coffee cart on a Sunday and be a pilgrim. You can wow someone with this warmth and generosity and make coming to church when it hasn't been something you've done for a while just a little less weird and be a pilgrim. You were designed by the giver of life to give your life away. So as the band comes up and as we consider how this text reads us, where are you finding life? And where are you giving life? Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just ask you to consider what Jesus is saying there. Out of undeserved, unmerited, any acts that we have done, God comes to us. Not us individually. All of humanity. The broken, beautiful mess of us. And he gives his life for us. He gives even though he knows it will cost him his life. And he does that because he loves us. He does that because he wants us to be in relationship with God. He wants us to have not this heart of stone, not this heart of selfishness, but this heart of warmth, this heart of flesh. Hebrews, well, Hebrews 4 and Psalm 95 and Exodus 17, they all reference the same place that says, that we should come and bow down to God and worship, regardless of who we are, regardless of where we come from. The fact, if we're human, this is our response, to come and bow and worship to God and kneel before our maker, the maker of humanity, for he is our God and we are his people. We are a, a sheep, a flock under his care. And he says, today, if you would hear his voice and if you would not harden your hearts like you did in Meribah, in Massa, these places along the wilderness where people were not trusting God. But this idea of hardening our hearts, we get so good at that and it turns them to stone. It turns them into places where we don't see the other. That heart can only be exchanged. It can't be improved. You can't make a better hard heart. You have to take it out and receive this heart of softness, this heart of flesh, this heart of the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus does for us. And yes, we might get a little happier if we serve someone else, but that's not the point. The point is, when we serve, and when we exchange this heart of stone for this heart of flesh, that God transforms our life and lives through us. And now we stop worrying about being happy because we just have joy. Where are you finding life? And where are you giving life? And have you asked God for that exchange? Father, I pray that you would speak to us now, even before we respond with song, that we would respond with our mind, with our heart, with our emotions, with our being. God, that you would read us. You would speak to us tenderly, softly, but truthfully. We're the places that we're a tourist instead of a pilgrim. We're the places that we look to get instead of give. Where is our heart stone 
when you want flesh. How do we want to be your people? People who see the least, because sometime or another, we're going to be the least. You, God, Jesus, you, you were the greatest and you made yourself the least. You took on the form of humanity and you made yourself a servant, even what we might call a slave, and you gave your life. God, thank you for showing us the way. The way to life is death, that the way to greatness is serving. I pray that we would be a people less focused on being happy and more people focused on being with you and seeing the other. Speak to us, oh God. We love you.